This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That is Ephesians 5.19. Guys, I'm so happy to have you here today. Happy Thanksgiving since I missed y'all last week, so happy Thanksgiving on that. And I am very, very thankful for all of our donors. So guys, if you don't know this by now, the majority of how we're able to keep the lights on here at Undaunted Life is because we have monthly donors. These are guys that believe in what we do. They want to equip men to push back darkness. And so we need more guys just like that. So as you're getting into the year-end giving, your one-time gifts, make sure you keep Undaunted Life in mind. And also, for that special guy in your life, typically a guy, that is into cigars. Just a reminder, we have Undaunted Life Cigars. That is an amazing Christmas present. They're sold in singles, three packs, and boxes of 20. They are our cigars, Undaunted Life. It's branded right on there. It's branded right there on the box. And a portion of the proceeds, the majority of the proceeds, goes to support the rescue team of the Tim Tebow Foundation. So that is the arm of the Tim Tebow Foundation that actively rescues and prevents child sex trafficking and other types of trafficking. And so, guys, if you're looking for a gift, if you've got a cigar smoker in your life, if someone just loves the t- the taste of lovely tobacco, make sure you go and check those out. Those will be in the show notes. And again, if your guy's into cigars, he's probably a manly man, which means he's also into beef. So remember that we are sponsored by Primal Beef. Guys, if you missed our interview with Sean Glass, one of the founders of Primal Beef, make sure you go back and listen to that from, what was it, last week or week before that. There is a promo code. Use the promo code Kyle. That's my first name, K-Y-L-E, to get 10% off your order. Guys, it's some of the best beef I've ever had in my entire life. <clears throat> and Sean Glass, in that interview, He really went into a lot of detail as to kind of why they're able to get that that level of flavor with what they're doing. So that's all great and good to go. And so today for this episode, just one thing from the very top, if you hear me clearing my throat quite a bit, I'm a little under the weather last few months or last few months, last few weeks, I've had some more trouble with my voice. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on. We're trying to figure that out, but hopefully it's not as bad as last time because last time required multiple surgeries. So hopefully we're not there. Now we're going to hit quick hitters today. So I know a lot of you guys are very happy that quick hitters are back. This is probably, though, going to be my last set of quick hitters for 2023 because I was looking at the release schedule and it looks like I've got a lot of, you know, interviews and forging table coming out. But then we've got all of our year end stuff. So our best books of the year, best podcasts of the year, kind of like our year end summary episode as well. So this might be the last batch. So I'm doing a few more than normal. So here are the quick hitters that we're going to hit today. The Supreme Court of the United States rejecting Derek Chauvin's appeal. Britney Spears revealing that she aborted the baby that she conceived with Justin Timberlake when she was 19. The pro-life movement suffering another terrible defeat this time in Ohio. New national polls suggesting that Donald Trump will beat Joe Biden in the 2024 general election. A Georgia high school football coach being fired after setting up a baptism event for his players. The Pope opening the door to the blessing of same-sex couples by the Catholic Church. Israel agreeing to a temporary ceasefire in order to reacquire 50 Israeli hostages and also American farmers going over to Israel to take care of Israeli farmland while the farmers are fighting Hamas. But before we get there, I want to talk about the title of this episode. So I don't ever usually refer to the title. I do come up with the titles typically before I record in case I do want to refer to them, but it might seem a little bit hyperbolic. The song that changed my life. Really, Kyle, you're going to go there. The song. That changed your life. Was there really a song that changed your life? And here's the thing. I don't want to be hyperbolic. I don't want to be crazy. But there is a song that I heard in the last few months that has shifted my thinking on a very, very important topic. Okay. And so we'll get there. But if you've listened to the show for any length of time, obviously, you know, I've got, you know, metal music, heavy metal music on the front end and back end on the show. Some people like that. A lot of people don't. I don't really care. It's what I like. But I do have a very eclectic uh, taste in music. And so I can very 
much so go from listening to incredibly heavy like death metal to, you know, maybe a worship song by Shane and Shane, maybe to a classical song, maybe to a country song, maybe to, you know, a hip hop song. I'm all over the place. Now, I will say the majority of the time when I am listening to music, because I don't listen to music that often anymore, it's like outlaw country or metal. Like, and there's not a whole lot of in between, but that's, that's basically where I go. But whenever I was thinking about this episode, and to be honest with you, I wanted to record this episode months ago, but Andy Stanley decided to be a complete tool, and so I had to focus on him for a little bit. But I was thinking about songs throughout my life that I feel like, you know, quote unquote, changed my life. And again, it's not like, oh, you know, I was doing heroin when I was seven, then I heard this song, and then I turned, you know, it's not like that type of thing. But songs that, as I look back, these are like seminal songs or cornerstone songs in terms of my taste or kind of where where I go with things. So the first one I thought of is The Unforgiven 2 by Metallica off the Reload album from 1997. So some of you metalheads out there will be like, really? A song from Reload? Are you kidding me? That's one of the worst albums from Metallica. But here's the thing. I was in like fifth grade when that came out. And so that was like my first exposure because like my parents like listen to country music or listen to, you know, classic rock on the radio. And so The Unforgiven 2, and I remember the music video, that was the first time I was exposed to like heavier music than what you would hear on the radio. Okay. And that's because, you know, the reload album had just come out that year. And so that was the first time I remember liking heavy music. And then, you know, with Metallica, obviously I start with reload and then I start working my way backwards to load and then the black album and then and justice for all. And then I find myself to master of puppets and then you ride lightning and kill them all. And then, you know, I followed them since then, but that was kind of my first exposure to liking heavy music. But then things really went to a different level in 1997. Well, this is when the album came out, but there was an album called reborn. And it was by the band Living Sacrifice, and the song was Reborn Empowered. Okay, so that was the first song off of that album. This was my first introduction to underground metal music, specifically underground Christian metal music. So a buddy of mine from, you know, my, uh, you know, youth group or whatever, he let me borrow that and the Society's Finest album. And I go home and I put that in, and that's the first song that played was Reborn Empowered. And I was like, wait a minute. This, this is something different entirely. And then when you read the lyrics, you know, it's these God honoring, you know, lyrics and things like that. I was like, okay, that, that's pretty incredible. And then I got a hold of a, an, an album from Zayo. And the album is where Blood, and Fire, where Blood and Fire Bring Rest. And that was from 1998. And the song, I think it's the second song off that, off that album, is to think of you as to treasure an absent memory. So that became my favorite song off of my favorite album by my favorite band of all time. So Zayo is my favorite band of all time. And so that's whenever I basically like stuck my, you know, flag in the ground. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm a metal head and specifically underground metal. You know, that was kind of like a badge on, or you're never going to hear this on the radio kind of thing. Like that, that was my deal. It's like, I hate radio rock. And so I got into bands like Zayo again, Zayo, even to this day is my favorite band, but then to shift gears just a little bit, uh, Johan Pachelbel, and so uh, Paco Bell, or I guess is how you would say his, his last name, but Paco Bell's Canon, AKA Canon in D that is the song that was played as my wife walked down the aisle. So that's the song I got married to. And I mean, this song was, you know, done, you know, back in the 1600s or 1700s, they don't know exactly when, but that is a very seminal song for me. Every time I hear it in a restaurant or some, some other random place, you know, it reminds me of the day that, you know, Kelsey, you know, gave herself to me as my wife. Then fast forward, we'll, we'll keep the metal thing going. The song, The Finisher by O Sleeper. Okay, so that's off their 2009 album, Son of the Morning. That's maybe my favorite specifically Christian metal song of all time. 
specifically the Christian metal as a genre. It definitely has the best outro. So I, I've talked about this before, but I just want to read the outro lyrics and just imagine, and you need to go listen to all these songs anyway, just so you can kind of get a sense of where my head's at. But here's the, here's the final uh, parts of the lyrics here. I will sing to the world your storm is capturing, and the angels will join me. We will sing to a world reborn from suffering. From the armories the angels sing, you will see them in this suffering. From the armories the angels sing, you will fear them when they lift their wings. They will sing to a world reborn. They will sing as I cut off your horns. I'll cut off your horns. And so this is a song about God cutting off Satan's horns. And this is inspiration for, you know, the tattoo that's on my right arm and shoulder, you know, the fight between good and evil. But this is a depiction of God cutting off Satan's horns. And then to shift gears again, again, eclectic taste here. The song Tennessee Whiskey by Chris Stapleton that was released in 2015 on his album Traveler. I feel like that song brought me back to country music because, again, I grew up listening to country music with my parents, but not really liking it. And then being exposed to a lot of like country radio and like most of the country that's played on the radio is just awful. The lyrics are terrible. It's it's depraved in terms of the subject matter. It's just not really, really my thing. But I remember it was like the CMT Awards or CMAs or something like that. Chris Stapleton performed with Justin Timberlake and they performed a couple of songs and one of them was Tennessee Whiskey. And I was just like, wait a minute, who is this guy? You know, Chris Stapleton, he doesn't have like this big stage presence. He just, he's there with his guitar and his cowboy hat and he just gets after it. But I feel like that put me on a path for the last several years to kind of, you know, go back to my roots of country music. Again, I don't really dig a lot of the the stuff that's played on the radio, but especially some of the outlaw stuff. And I talked about that a lot in my country music theology episode from a month back or so. And then the last one I'll mention here is Shane and Shane, Psalm 46. So that's the song Lord of Hosts. That's off their Psalms 2 album uh, released in 2015. I think that is the greatest of all time worship, worship song off of the greatest of all time worship album by the goats of worship music. And I told them that to their face when I interviewed Shane and Shane earlier this year. That song is specifically built for the guy that doesn't listen to, you know, these these Bethel songs or these Hillsong songs or Elevation or these random things or these random you know, very effeminate worship songs. And Shane and Shane aren't going to overwhelm you with their their machismo from the mic, but they they try to stick to the Bible when they and they they do stick to the Bible and their lyrical content. And then when they sing the Psalms, they're not doing it from this, you know, effeminate perspective, especially in Psalm 46. Okay, so that just kind of gives you a little rundown from, you know, little kid elementary school all the way up to today. But earlier this summer, I heard this song. It's called These Are the Days off of the 2023 album Pioneer by Corey Asbury. Okay, so Corey Asbury, I guess he's, uh, so he's a Christian artist. This this album's kind of in the, the Christian country sphere a little bit. There's a lot of country music elements. And, and I guess uh, he wrote those, what, what's the song that he wrote that he's famous for? Uh, uh, Reckless Love or something like that. I saw a lot of people like just hate this guy online because they don't like the lyrics of Reckless Love. God's love's not reckless. And I, I guess this summer he posted like a video on Instagram where he was, he was obviously kidding and talking about, you know, he had gotten to a milestone on Instagram with followers and he was like basically giving thanks to God as if he were a genie, right? Kind of this prosperity gospel thing. And these Christians took him seriously. And like, what is more insufferable than a Christian that takes someone literally when they're obviously kidding? So he was obviously kidding. So, you know, some people like him, some people don't. I don't really care. But I discovered his song on TikTok. So TikTok isn't the greatest thing for humanity, but there are some good things that come out of it, right? 
And so I, I think it was him and his wife singing in like a stairwell and they're singing this song and you know, again, it's TikTok video. So it's only like a little snippet of their song. And I was like, that's interesting. So I go and listen to this song and I'll get to the song, you know, more here in a second, but why I'm going to talk about why this song or or a song specifically changed my life. And and the reason why is because this song by Corey Asbury, again, these are the days it helped give me perspective on the fleeting moment in time that I'm living through right now as it pertains to my two sons. And that'll make more sense here in a second whenever I, I'm going to read through the lyrics for you because I obviously can't play the song. I don't have the rights to it to do so. But whenever I was about to be, be a father, you know, where I got to meet my kid, because obviously the moment that Kelsey and I conceived, I was a father in that moment. But when James was about to be born, I remember hearing from all my friends, man, your life's going to change the moment you see that baby. It's just like things are going to click in your brain and you'll never know that you can love something or feel like you need to protect something all in your life. And as I've talked about on the show before, when James came, like obviously it was an overwhelming emotional experience, but I was just, I, I didn't feel the way that a lot of these guys told me I would feel because I was immediately struck with like, oh crap, now I got to, like, I got to do something. Like I got to figure out like, what can I do? And as most of you know, with a, with a baby baby, like a newborn, you, dad, you basically can't do anything other than try to keep your wife alive. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, protect, uh, the, protect the house from wolves. But aside from that, there's not much you can really do directly for that child. And so I didn't really get that connection. That changed a little bit when James was six weeks old, when he had to have emergency uh, surgery on, on himself. And, you know, I'm handing this baby over to a nurse thinking I'm never going to see this kid again. And then it was like, okay, it started to click like, oh, I really do care about this thing. I really do love this thing. You know, this is my son. Like, this is my progeny. But then the same thing with Elijah, when Elijah came and, you know, James is three now and Elijah's one. And that connection that you have is just different as a dad than it is for a mom, obviously, for a myriad of different, different reasons. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like figure out like, what is my time as a dad? Like, when do I really come to shine? And I've heard a lot of people say here recently, Hey man, just batten down the hatchets and hold on tight for as long as you can, because look, they're just not your kids right now. They're your kids, but they're not your kids. They're mom's kids, right? They need more nurturing and all that. But man, when they turn five, six, seven, nine, ten 10 years old, whatever, that's when you really need to be dad. That's like when dad is the most important. And then you hear about like what John Tyson talks about with the severing dinner in the intentional father and things like that. And so it's like, okay, I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So now's maybe not my time. Okay. So let me just try to get as much work done now and, and try to focus on the stuff that I'm trying to grow right now, focus on undaunted. And then, you know, uh, I can kind of, you know, check back in to be dad a little bit later. And then I heard this song for the first time. And I, for whatever reason, when I listened to the song for the first time, I was very intentional because I listen to music somewhat passively. So sometimes when I exercise, I'll have music on in the background. Sometimes I listen to it in the car, but very rarely do I sit down and like listen to a song and like, okay, I'm going to listen to the lyrics and understand the lyrics and try to get something out of it. And I'll tell you by the end of the song, I was in tears. And like, I don't know that I've ever cried at a song before. Like, I remember maybe when I was a little kid, there was like a Tim McGraw song. Oh, don't take the girl. Okay. So that's a Tim McGraw song from early on. I remember crying at that song because I was like, oh, it's so sad. Don't take the girl. Right. Anyone that's heard that song knows what I'm talking about. But like as an adult, like hearing a song, like it may be like, oh, this song's great, but I'm not going to be in tears. But it was because of where I'm at in my life, because of where I'm at with my sons, because of where I'm at with, you know trying to build a business and grow a business and, and my wife's doing the same and there's a lot of stress and we don't have a lot of help and there's just no time to get anything done and blah, 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 all the whiny little stuff that, that someone might say. But this song deeply affected me emotionally. 
And I will say, even in preparing for this podcast, listening to it again, like I always get choked up at this song. And I mean, for, for a couple of months there, I listened to the song every day and I made sure to listen to it every day, almost as something to just reset my brain. Like I just need to reset my brain and focus in a particular area because this is, this is such an important thing that this song has helped teach me. So this is what I want you guys to do. If you're in a place where you can do this safely, I want you to pause this podcast and I want you to go listen to the song. Okay. So the song is these are the days by Corey Asbury off his latest album called Pioneer. Okay. If you're driving, please don't do this. Please don't start, you know, messing with your phone. But if you got Spotify or Apple, you know, music or however you get your music, go to YouTube, find it, listen to it. Cause again, I can't play it for you right here, but go listen to that song right now. Okay. So you have my permission, pause my show, go listen to that and then come back. And so if you've done that, welcome back. Hope you've uh, heard the song and got to enjoy it a little bit. But again, I can't play the song here, but I do want to read the lyrics for you and I'll kind of indicate where there's verse breaks and choruses and stuff like that. But let me read it to you and then we'll get into some feedback and then we'll hit the quick hitters. Hospital to home was a four minute drive. The baby on board made it 35. We didn't sleep a wink that night, just laid by the crib singing nursery rhymes. These are the days that we'll want back. Verse two, the kindergarten drop-off line his first day of school, didn't even cry. And that was when we knew that life, it had a funny way of just passing us by. These are the days that we'll want back. Now, of course. So tell them bedtime stories, give them a kiss goodnight. Darling, before we know it, this old house will be quiet. I know we're tired right now. Someday we'll laugh about it. Let's slow it down and raise a glass, because these are the days that we'll want back. Now, verse 3. It took us a day to build that bike. Felt like we only got a minute to watch him ride. Juggling dinner, school, and practice times. Just trying to make it through to that glass of cheap wine. These are the days that we'll want back. We'll want back. Here's the chorus again. So tell him bedtime stories. Give him a kiss goodnight. Darling, before we know it, this old house will be quiet. I know we're tired right now. Someday we'll laugh about it. Let's slow it down and raise a glass. Because these are the days that we'll want back. Now the bridge. All of the countless, crazy, sleepless nights. All of the firsts and the lasts and the tears that we've cried. All of the, how does this work, Dad? And, Mom, tell me why. Sometimes growing up feels like goodbye. Verse 4. And this is where I typically lose it. You know, whatever, I'm listening to it. There was a time, (laughs) here I am getting emotional right now, just reading lyrics to a song, but here we go. There was a time when we were your world, and now you're moving on to marry your girl. So buy her a house and call it home. Give her a life and some kids of her own. And then the chorus again, and then it goes to the outro. Tell them bedtime stories. Give them a kiss goodnight. Because before you know it, that old house will be quiet. I know you're wild right now. Someday we'll laugh about it. Let's raise a glass and toast to that. Because we'll we'll always be your mom and dad. And these are the days that we'll want back. We'll want them back. Want them back. So... The thing about it is for me, guys, and I don't have like, here's the three things. Here's my big three takeaways from the song. And if you listen to the song, don't like it. I don't care. It doesn't have to have an impact on you, but it has had an impact on me. I am a work in progress as it pertains to being present and cherishing the moments that we're in. But I'm here for the journey because, again, I'm not a, a completed process here. I still struggle because, again, you're, you're with these kids, but like, especially like with my one-year-old, we don't really communicate because he's one. He, he has, you know, like, I don't know, 20 words that he can say, and he's not really, you know, I'm not conversating with him yet. 
with James, who's three, going on four. It's a little bit different. But again, it's like, okay, I've got stuff I need to do and I need to be away from the kids, but then I also need to be with the kids. And like, how do I get all that? And are they getting the most out of dad right now? They are noticing things about dad that are good and noticing things about dad that are not very good. But I'm trying to be as present in these moments because when people are like, hey, you know, these are the days that you'll want back. My typical modus operandi, the thing I, I default to is why in the world would I want to come back to this? This level of stress, this level of sleeplessness, this level of tension between my wife and I, because anytime a kid, you know, is thrown into the equation, because we were married for, I think, 11 years before we had our first kid. So there's all this tension and all this stuff that's that's kind of thrown into this household. Again, we don't have family here. We, we don't have help. And it's just like, why would I want to come back to this? Like, and, and when I think back to really difficult times in my life, I'm glad I went through them, but I don't want to go back. I, I want to move forward. I, I Great. I got the lessons. I don't want to go back. So I keep the refrain from the song, these are the days that we'll want back. These are the days that we'll want back. These are the days that we'll want back. I'm trying to internalize that and I'm trying to believe it, frankly, because that is the refrain that I get from most old fathers. You know, guys that, you know, have kids that are about to go off to college or guys that are empty nesters now or whatever the situation is. You get a lot of the same advice. It's like, man, just cherish these moments. They go by so fast. They grow up so fast. You know, the days are long, but the years are short. Like all those things. Hey, make sure you're still taking care of your wife and dating your wife. Because, you know, one day when the house is empty and you realize, oh, this isn't my wife. This is my roommate. All that stuff is very, very good. So I wanted to share that song with you because for a guy like me that, that goes so fast and is a hard charger and is trying to get so many things done, this song has caused me to pause. And not just to pause to listen to it because it sounds good in my ear holes, but pause because it really has shifted my perspective. So I just wanted to share that with you. Hey guys, real quick. I know that a lot of you in my audience lead very disciplined lives. You crush your workouts. You're getting after it on the mats. You're standing out at work. Your family actually likes you. (laughs) You seem to have everything under control. But I've been a part of enough discussions with men over the years to know without a doubt that many of you are dealing with unwanted compulsive behaviors or addictions, whether it's pornography, drinking, smoking, using illegal substances, gambling, lying, whatever. Many of you have allowed yourselves to be mastered by something that is stronger than your willpower. If you don't get that in check, guys, it can have astonishingly negative consequences for your marriage, your relationship with your children, your business your job, your church, on and on and on. I think you get the point. That's why I want to introduce you to my friends at Relay. Relay is a recovery app that matches you with accountability partners that will help you get a handle on your unwanted compulsive behaviors. Relay provides easy-to-use tools that can be tailored to your specific needs and preferences, which will enable you to reach a stage of recovery that you never thought possible. Don't go it alone Don't keep trying the same failed tactics that you've tried in the past. Don't let another day go by without getting your compulsive behavior under control. Let my friends at Relay help. Go to the link in the show notes to try Relay today. That takes you to joinrelay.app backslash undaunted. It's time to start taking this seriously. Again, go to the link in the show notes. Click that link in the show notes to get started. All right, guys, let's hit the probably last quick hitters of 2023. So let's get after it. Here's the first one. The Supreme Court of the United States rejecting Derek Chauvin's appeal. So this is according to the Daily Wire. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday, this would have been Monday of last week, declined to hear an appeal from former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who was found guilty in the contentious and highly publicized case concerning the death of George Floyd. 
Chauvin was found guilty of second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter, and the former officer was sentenced to 20 years behind bars in 2021. The Supreme Court did not specify why it would not take up the case. Notably, the high court only hears about 100 appeals of the 7,000 or so cases it's asked to review annually. Attorney William Mormon, or Moore, yeah, it's Mormon, it's just spelled funny, filed an appeal on behalf of Chauvin, arguing in part that his client was denied the right to a fair trial. So with most of these big take or most of these uh, quick hitters, we're just going to go right to the big takeaway. So my big takeaway on this is going to sound shocking to some of you if you haven't been paying attention. But George Floyd died because of an overdose. Derek Chauvin should be a free man. And even here recently, like this morning, I was looking at the news. I'm recording this uh, a few days before it comes out. Derek Chauvin was stabbed in prison. This was the second incident that he's had in prison. And every time something happens to Derek Chauvin, I think to myself, he shouldn't even be there. Why in the world is he even there? Because again, if you know anything about his case, and we'll get more into it here in a second, Derek Chauvin might be a bad person. I don't know. He might be a a saint. I have no idea. I don't know the guy personally. I don't know any stories about the guy personally. But one thing I can tell you is that he's not a murderer. I can certainly tell you that. And the reason is, is because of the Hennepin County Medical Examiner Office's autopsy report. Okay? So this is the official autopsy. So I'll I'll put it in the show notes so you can go and check it out for yourself. This isn't the... The, the attorney for the, the defense, or not the defense, but this isn't the attorney for you know, uh, George Floyd's family. This isn't you know, any of these racial grift people that are doing these, these autopsies or you know, they're basically following the ambulance with, with all their stuff. Like the, this isn't any of that. This is the official medical examiner's report. Now, if Derek Chauvin choked George Floyd to death, which is what we're told happened, right? Then we should see in this autopsy that there are there would be trauma to his neck and throat area. Now, I'm not going to read this entire thing, but I am going to go ahead and get to uh, get to some of the stuff. So uh, the very first part, it talks about blunt force injuries. So it says that he had blunt force injuries to his forehead, his face and his upper lip. Um, and he had some, you know, uh, some small injuries on his shoulders and his hands and his legs. But if you remember, he was fighting with the police officers. Right. He was not wanting to go into the back of the the police cruiser. He had to be forcefully put on the ground. So if that happens, yeah, you're going to get some some problems. Uh, You you know, you're going to have some bruising on your wrists from the restraints, the handcuffs, all those types of things. But here's the, the natural diseases. The guy had heart disease. So keep that in mind. He had hypertension. So he had problems with his heart and he had a left pelvic tumor. Okay, so it was it was incidental. You know, they were seen as microscopic. But here's, here's where we really start getting into it, right? But just remember, he had heart problems. In part three, it says that there are no life-threatening injuries identified. That is the heading for part three of the autopsy report. That alone should have been enough to get that trial thrown out, right? That enough, okay? Because now we're going to go to three, part A. There are no facial, oral, mucosal, or conjunctival uh, Patechia, whatever that is, right? So there were no no injuries. Uh, this is part B. I'll just keep reading. No scalp or soft tissue injuries. There were not any injuries to the muscles of the neck or the laryngeal structures. So the larynx. There there was no no problems there. There was no life threatening injuries to the chest, to the ribs, to the vertebrae. There were no incisions or uh, issues with the neck or the shoulders or the butt or any of those types of things. No life threatening injuries were found on the autopsy. Again. That enough should show you that this should not, this should not have even been a thing. Okay. But this is the big thing. 
the toxicology report. So we're skipping ahead to section six of this, the toxicology report. So this is what was found whenever they drew blood from George Floyd after his death. He had fentanyl in his system, okay? He had enough fentanyl in his system to kill him three times over. He had three times the normal lethal dose of fentanyl in his system. He also had norfentanyl in his system, methamphetamine, caffeine, which isn't really that big a deal. He also had uh, marijuana in his system and alcohol and morphine, by the way. He had a bunch of stuff in his system at that moment. So if I were to give you a circumstance and not give you any of the names of the people involved, not the place where it took place, not any of the circumstances for how it began, the races of the people, anything, and I said, okay, I'm going to describe what happened. I'm going to describe an autopsy, and you have to tell me whether you think they died because they were choked to death, strangled to death, right? Or they died because of overdose. And I were to read to you and give you the evidence that I just gave you, every single person with a functioning brain on planet Earth would say, well, this person clearly overdosed, which is exactly what happened. Now, you might think to yourself, yeah, okay, so he's, he had all this stuff in his system, right? I'll, I'll grant you that. Yeah, he had all these, these heart diseases and all these other things. Yes, he had all these, these problems that, you know, from a life of drug abuse and bodily abuse and not taking care of his health and all that. But he wouldn't have died unless that police officer, like if that police officer just wouldn't have been on top of him and wouldn't have held him down, then he wouldn't be dead. Well, then you have to ask yourself, why was Derek Chauvin and the other police officers present at that moment with George Floyd? Because we're not going to unpack the entire case again, but you have to go all the way back to the part where George Floyd, again, high on a bunch of drugs, goes into a store and uses a false bill, right? And, and he passes it off as a real bill. He gets caught. And then the people are like, look, man, you know, give us our product back. Like you used fake money, like counterfeit money. And so they call the police. George Floyd broke the law. And that is why he had to deal with the police that day. But just because he used a counterfeit bill doesn't, and people are like, a counterfeit bill doesn't mean you should get the death penalty. Well, that's not what happened because the police showed up and George Floyd could have been like, yeah, you're right. Go ahead and take me to jail. Like he was very familiar with jail because he was a very violent criminal, right? So it wasn't been his, his first time that he was in handcuffs, but the dude freaked out, started fighting with the police, well, refused to get into the back of a police car, demanded to be put on the ground. Oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. He had to be restrained for his own good and for the good of the populace that was surrounding that area. Because this is a large, violent criminal. And how could the police have known, like, what were they supposed to do? Set up a, t a tea party and just wait for the rest of the paddy wagon to show? Like, like, what exactly was the point? And so it is an unbelievable travesty. And one of the, the biggest examples of injustice that I've seen in the modern system, because of course Derek Chauvin did not get a fair trial. Of course he didn't. Of course, he was, he was basically lynched by these woke progressives in the state of Minnesota. There is nothing whatsoever that changes that. And here's the other thing. For any of you people that are like, but I watched the video, Kyle. I saw that shin across his neck. That's clearly what killed him. Well, let me introduce you to something called jujitsu. So I'm not a jujitsu master. I'm not a professor, but I have been doing this for going on seven years. I know a thing or two about what it takes to put someone unconscious. I've never been on the receiving end of that because I'm, I'm going to tap, but I have been on the giving end of that where I put people unconscious. Do you know what it takes to choke someone unconscious? Typically, you have to block both of the carotid arteries on either side of the neck, which is protected by musculature. You have to cut that blood flow off to the brain, and typically within five, six, seven seconds, somebody is completely out cold. 
right? Especially if they're breathing hard and blood's pumping, they're going to be out cold even faster. Like if I were to walk up to you and you say, hey, you can go ahead and choke me out, you would be unconscious in less than 10 seconds, right? After I were to sink in the choke or anyone that's trained to do it sinks in the choke, you're going to be unconscious. Now, in order to kill you, I'm going to have to hold that for a lot longer because I need to cut off the blood flow completely to your brain, basically to kill you. Okay. George Floyd, because what was he on the, on the ground for, for 15 minutes or something like that before he basically died right there on video? It doesn't take 15 minutes for somebody to be strangled to where they pass out. He was conscious the entire time. He was yelling, he was hooting and hollering, he was doing all kinds of different things. And guys, if I were to bring you, if you were to come to me and I were to put you down on the ground and I were to put my shin across the back of your neck and shoulder which is where this dude's shin was. That's where Chauvin's shin was. If I were to do that, I could leave it there for the weekend and you're not going to die. It's going to be incredibly uncomfortable. You're probably going to have to go to the chiropractor, probably going to have to get a massage, probably going to have to, you know, take some pain pills, not fentanyl, but you're probably going to need to take some pain pills, but you're not going to be dead. Why? Because I'm not blocking off your blood flow to your brain. So you have all these people that don't understand chokes. They don't understand human anatomy. And they're like, oh, well, Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. No. He didn't. It's a lie. And I literally got a DM this morning from a guy that's like, wait a minute. You said that George Floyd overdosed. I've, I've never heard this. So like, what are you talking about? But again, the lie goes around the world. What's, what's the quote? The lie goes around the world twice before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. That's basically what we're living in right now. But it's an absolute travesty. I have no idea why the Supreme Court didn't, didn't pull this up. Again, they have a lot of really important things that they have to deal with. But hopefully somewhere down the road, Derek Chauvin can get another trial. Because, again, it's an absolute injustice that he's in prison. And everything happens that happens to him while he's in prison is the fault of the people of Minnesota. Hey guys, real quick, as you may have heard me mention previously, before I started this Undaunted Life thing full time, I worked in insurance and financial advisement. Now, while doing that, I got to sit down with literally hundreds of families to discuss their financial plans and goals. I got to see some families that had all their ducks in a row, but unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of the people I sat down with had major holes in their financial plans. So whether it was not diversifying their retirement investments, having no plan for replacement income if the breadwinner became too sick or too hurt to work, or even having a plan for the death of a family member, most American families have left themselves very exposed to potential financial ruin. So that's why I want to introduce you to my friend and my financial advisor, Mike McCall with Bluecrest Financial. Now, Mike can help you reach your chosen financial goals by helping you develop an overall plan to ensure you and your family's financial success. So whether it's IRAs or stocks or rollovers or life insurance or long-term care, disability income, you name it, Mike can help. Now, just imagine the peace of mind that comes with knowing that you're taking proactive steps towards financial security for you and your loved ones. Think about the legacy you could leave behind. Something that truly reflects your conservative values and the hard work you put in throughout your life. So I trust Mike McCall with my financial planning, so I think you should give him a shot as well. So to receive your free personal and or business financial assessment, go to the link in the show notes for this episode to book a 15-minute Zoom call with Mike. Don't try to piecemeal your own financial plan. Let an expert help you. Again, go to the link in the bio. Click that link in the bio to get your free assessment. All right, let's go to the next quick hitter here. Pop star Britney Spears revealing that she aborted the baby she conceived with Justin Timberlake. So this is according to People Magazine. Britney Spears is sharing a painful experience she's kept private for 20 years. In her upcoming memoir, which I think is out now, The Woman and Me, the pop icon reveals that when she dated Justin Timberlake, she became pregnant with his baby, but had an abortion, People confirms. It was a surprise, but for me, it wasn't a tragedy. 
I love Justin so much, I always expected us to have a family together one day. This would just be much earlier than I'd anticipated, Spears, now 41, writes of the pregnancy in the book. But Justin definitely wasn't happy about the pregnancy. He said we weren't ready to have a baby in our lives and that we were way too young. A rep for Timberlake did not immediately respond to people's request for comment. So up to this point, I don't know that Justin Timberlake has responded publicly. I, I didn't find that. But I'm going to go to my big takeaway here. This was obviously a tragic murder that took place. Obviously. But don't be so naive as to think that this is a rarity in the entertainment world. So it might seem like a little bit of a shift, but a, a pop star getting an abortion is not a rarity. The public finding out about it is a rarity. Now, there are some. Uh, pop stars or actresses or things like that that are shouting their abortions. They're very, very proud of it. You hear these people say, I wouldn't have been as successful as I was today had I not murdered my child. And then uh, people on the left will just clap and, oh my gosh, they're going to get a write-up in the New York Times and the Washington Post and Slate, and it's just going to be the, the greatest thing for them, and it'll actually be a boon for their career. But this has to happen constantly. I remember years ago, uh, after Tiger Woods won his first major, after having not won one in a long time, and everyone's using the word redemption to describe what had happened, and I was very critical of the use of redemption, and a lot of people that know I don't like golf and know I don't give a crap about Tiger Woods are like, oh, you're just being a hater and all that. It's like, well, no, like we're, he's not redeemed. He won a golf tournament. He got a silly trophy in a jacket. Like, well, he's not redeemed. Redemption is a theological term, and he certainly has not been redeemed. There's no evidence that he has repented for the things that led to his downfall to begin with. None whatsoever. And another thing, I can't remember if I brought it up then, but if, if I didn't, I should have. But it's a, basically a guarantee that Tiger Woods, because of the amount of, you know what, that he was slinging during that time period, that he got women pregnant. But we don't hear anything about love children from Tiger Woods. Why do you think that is? Because Tiger Woods probably had the $500 to pay for that baby to be murdered by a paid assassin and some money to give to the woman so that she never said a word about it. And Tiger Woods, again, is not unique. Again, I tell you all the time, don't worship at the altar of anybody. Your favorite singer, your favorite artist, your favorite actor, your favorite athlete, your favorite pastor, your favorite anybody, because they will always let you down. And the level of depravity that is present in these people is, is, is astonishingly high. And again, you have to go back to the Britney Spears situation. She was 19. She gets knocked up by a fellow pop star. He's a child as well. They don't want to have this kid. And you have to think the management and the handlers for Britney Spears at this time were all too excited to make sure that this problem, quote unquote, went away. So they just killed the baby. They snuffed out the life of a human being because it was going to be inconvenient for record sales. This happens all the time. It's unfortunate, but it's true. All right, next quick hitter here. The pro-life movement suffering another terrible defeat, this time in Ohio. So this is according to The Guardian from November the 7th. Ohio voters resoundingly voted to add abortion rights to their state constitution, a major victory for abortion rights supporters in the only state where abortion is on the ballot in November. Issue 1 passed with more than 57% of the vote, according to results shortly after the outcome was declared. Abortion access has been embattled in Ohio since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year, sending the issue back to the states and leading 16 states to ban nearly all abortions. Ohio has a six-week ban on the books, which briefly took effect until the court paused it. Tuesday's results should prevent it from being reinstated. So let's go right to the big takeaway on this one. And this is so infuriating, but we got to spend a little bit of time here. Conservatives and Republicans 
are taking the exact wrong takeaways in the wake of the state defeats on the question of abortion in 2022 and 23. They're taking the exact wrong stance and the exact wrong view from this. So what conservatives and Republicans are signaling as their takeaway is, man, we're really getting pounded on this abortion issue. Apparently, the country is more pro-choice than we thought. We should moderate. That's what they're saying. That's what I keep hearing. Keep hearing people talk about on podcasts, on Twitter. But what conservatives and Republicans should have as their takeaway is this. Man, we should have a better or actual strategy on a state-by-state basis for the issue of life. That's what they should be talking about. Because yes, Republicans in, in states, or I guess just in general, states like Kansas, red states like Kansas or Ohio or things like that, these things should not be being defeated. But the overall thing that conservatives and Republicans are doing is they're like, oh, I guess we need to moderate on this. I guess we shouldn't be as fervently pro-life as we convinced everyone that we were before the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That's what they're saying, and that's what they're signaling, which, again, is so unbelievably ridiculous. Like, why would that be your takeaway? Because it's like, oh, yeah, you lost. Well, is there a problem with the strategy that you approach? Because here's the one thing is progressives, woke people. Republicans, people, or not Republicans, Democrats, people that just love killing babies, it's like their favorite thing. They're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on all these state questions. And they're lying to people and telling them, oh, well, you know, if you don't vote this way, then it means if, uh, you know, someone in your life gets a tubal pregnancy, well, that's basically the death penalty. They're not going to be able to get treatment for that, which is a lie, which is an absolute lie. But again, you put it in a 30 second soundbite on a commercial or on the radio or something like that. People will just believe it because we're stupid and we don't have time to check. So uh, I have a question to these squishy and supposedly pro-life Republicans out there. If you had the power to do so, would you go back in time and change the outcome of the Dobbs decision? The decision that overturned Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Would you undo that? Because I remember saying this at the time and people disagreed with me and I've, I've ended up being right, but I'm, I'm sad about it. I thought that there was going to be tremendous backlash at the ballot box because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Not because Republicans were, and Christians and conservatives were, were excited about it. That, that's not it. I don't think that has anything to do with how other people have reacted. But I feel like now there are Republicans that wish that this didn't happen. They wish the Dobbs decision didn't go that way because it's inconvenient for them in their you know, quest to keep power. And again, elections have consequences. I'm not saying these elections aren't important, but there is not an outcome that I can think of where I would be like, you know what, let's go back to the Dobbs decision and let's flip, uh, flip a couple of those uh, folks to where it's, you know, where it's not going to be overturned. I can't think of one, but it did kind of show the plan or the, uh, the pro-life uh, arm or the pro-life uh, advocacy group. It showed them to have their pants down a little bit because they didn't have plans in each state. They weren't ready to go. Because here's the thing, most of America would be almost 100% pro-life if they knew what an abortion actually was. That's why whenever I go and do my speech about engaging pro-abortion arguments, I spend some time talking about the actual procedure. Or procedures. There's lots of ways to kill a child in the womb. But these people are like, I had no idea that's what happened. Because again, we use this amorphous term, abortion. And then we don't think about, oh, no, there's a baby that's fully intact inside that, you know, can feel pain and has all of its organs and has its own DNA and has its own blood and has its own fingerprints and all those different things. 
and if just left to its own devices, will you know be able to be welcomed into the world. Uh, and but we're going to shove a vacuum tube in there and start ripping them off and uh, ripping you know limbs off and things like that. Or if they're too big, we're going to actually you know do a partial birth abortion where we pull them out by their feet and then we cut the back of the neck with scissors and then we shove a suction tube into the back of the neck and then we suck the brains out so that the skull will collapse and then we pull it out and just put it to the side. Right? We don't really like talking about that. But if people knew that that's what was happening during these procedures, they would be pro-life. And a lot of progressive or a lot of conservatives rather and Republicans, they're being very apologetic about their pro-life stance right now. Oh, I'm so sorry. And, you know, they're, they're trying to seem moderate. Right. But a great example of an unapologetically pro-life leader of a country is Argentina's newly elected president, Javier Malay, I think is how you say his last name, but, you know, President Javier from Argentina. Again, if you guys have been on the internet at all here recently, you've seen clips of this guy. The guy's, you know, he, he's crazy, like crazy in a good way and maybe crazy in some bad ways. But I want to read this quote to, to you guys about his stance on abortion. Here's a quote. When you construct on the basis of an incorrect moral principle, the result is filth. How can being able to kill other human beings be a right gained? As a liberal, I believe in the unrestricted right to life based on the defense of life, liberty, and property. I defend life. Biology says that life begins with conception. <clears throat> this is, I think Argentina was under progressive rule for like 30 or 40 years, and they just flipped to this guy who's seen as basically the first libertarian, uh, even though no one can truly define libertarianism. He's like the first libertarian uh, leader of a, of a country. And he's trying to turn Argentina around. And, you know, we'll see. He's been the president for basically five minutes. But, you know, this is a guy that is unapologetically pro-life, and he won an astounding, astoundingly wide victory. But I do want to give you some quick tips here before we move on to the next quick hitter. So here are some quick tips on the whole pro-life thing. Number one. Stop arguing against abortion from a defensive position. This is the biggest mistake that I see Christians, conservatives, and pro-lifers make when it comes to the, the issue of life is they're always on their heels. And again, if you're on your heels, just think about this in a striking context. If you're always throwing punches going backwards, yeah, you might get lucky and knock somebody out, but it's a lot different force than if you can step into it, turn everything over and turn your hip into it and actually make the strike happen. But this is what people are doing. These are people that are on the right side of the moral issue. Pro-lifers are on the correct side of the moral issue, but they're always allowing the other side to get the upper hand. That's why, again, when I do my presentation live on how to engage these top abortion, pro-abortion arguments, these are questions I'm giving you questions to ask to go on the offensive because this defensive position thing is just not working for the pro-life cause. The second quick tip is this. Don't fall for the moderation trap or the quote-unquote third-way approach on this issue. Don't fall for it. Because a lot of people are just like, ah, well, you know what, we're just going to moderate on this issue. We'll, we will just say that's maybe not alive here and that it is alive there. You know, maybe there, there's got to be a third-way approach. So there's the crazy pro-life people and the crazy pro-abortion people. There's got to be somewhere in the middle. To which I would ask these people, what is the moderate position on abortion? Because some people will say, oh, moderate, meaning like a 12-week ban or a 15-week ban or, or something like that. No, no, no. On the issue of life and the protection of innocent human life, what is the moderate position? Because that is either a living, unique human being worthy of our protection as a society, or it's not. It is either that or it is a meaningless clump of cells. 
Now, you can make your arguments for both sides of that issue, but you both can't be right. It's not a meaningless clump of cells and a worthy human of protection, right? It can't be both things. So don't, don't fall for this, for this idea of moderation. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am all for any law that leads to the protection of more human life because there are some people, abolitionists, that will not support any law aside from a full criminalization and complete ban of abortion, which I agree with in principle. But in practice, it doesn't work out that way because it's very easy for me as a podcaster to be a purist. Uh, and I'm going to be very, very pure, and here, here are my stances on issues, and I'm not going to bend at all. But if I were a legislator, you, you can't really be a purist. You know, purity works well on Twitter, works great when you're selling t-shirts or at a rally, but when it comes to actually getting things done, I'm going to do whatever I can to save as many babies as I can. And the last thing here is just study my white paper. So there's a white paper on my website. It's called How to Engage the Top 18 Pro-Abortion Arguments. It's free. It's right there on our website. I'll put the link in the show notes, guys. If you've not downloaded that yet, it is basically like a crash course on, again, the top 18 pro-abortion arguments. I'm at least going to get you through your next, you know, family dinner where you're arguing with your crazy cousin who thinks that we should just slaughter babies because of, you know, whatever reason. So make sure that you study that. Quick drink of water. Next quick hitter here. New national poll suggesting that Donald Trump will beat Joe Biden in the 2024 general election. So this is according to The Hill. Former President Trump widened his lead against President Biden to four points in a hypothetical 2024 presidential matchup, according to a new poll. The Emerson College polling survey released on Wednesday, this was a couple of Wednesdays ago, shows Trump holding on to his 47% support while Biden fell from 45% to 43%. About 10% of voters in the poll were undecided. So here's my big takeaway on this one. If you believe that these polls are legit or that they will hold up until election time, you're a fool. I'm sorry, you're just a fool. You're foolish to think that. Because if you believe in these polls, it's because of a couple of things. Number one, you're not paying attention. Or number two, you really, really, really want them to be true. And here's the thing. In a a hypothetical matchup between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, I absolutely want Donald Trump to win. Of course I do. The the country has been in a, a much worse place on the national and international stage since the moment Joe Biden took over and everyone with a functioning brain knew that that was going to be the case if he won the presidency. But again, the thing that I think is so funny about this is that poll is reflecting the national mood. But if you know anything about elections at all, general elections that is, national polls don't matter. They literally do not matter. State polls do. Like, to, to, to keep your eye on the ball here, like, don't get distracted. Because this election comes down to like a handful of states, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Arizona, Nevada, like those are the states that this comes down to. Now, I will say that when you look at those state polls, some of you Trump people, I can hear you right now screaming in my inbox, but Trump is showing leads in those states as well. But again, we're, we're a year away. We're a year away from this. And this is the part of the game that the mainstream media and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, are playing right now. They're starting the process of scaring people away from Trump, right? So a lot of this is baked in at this point, right? There's not a whole lot of people that are undecided on Trump. There might be like 14 people in America that are undecided on Trump, whether they like him or they don't like him. And Trump, he either has like fans or he has people that hate him. There's not a whole lot of people in the middle that are just like mildly supportive of the guy. Like I'm mildly supportive of the guy, especially if he's going up against another Democrat. 
But the whole thing that we're about to see once we come out of the, you know, November, December time and we get into the last stretches of the actual campaign next year is that you shouldn't forget the wisdom that if you make the election about the other guy, you will likely win. And in in reality, what we're seeing in these polls right now is all the focus is on Biden because Biden, you know, he can't talk. He can't walk. He can't think. The, the economy's bad. People are looking at their bank accounts. They don't like it. They're looking at their retirement accounts. And they don't like it. They're looking to buy a house and they don't like it. And they're seeing, you know, binomics in practice in their everyday life and they don't like it. But in 2024, the entirety of everyone's focus will be, well, it won't be on Joe Biden's age or mental state. It won't be on Hunter Biden. It's going to be on big, bad, scary, mean, orange tyrant Trump. That's what's going to happen. Because there are four trials that are going to be happening, some of them in 2024, and that'll be wall-to-wall coverage. No one's going to be talking about Biden. We're going to see discussion of January 6th. That's going to come up. You're going to see January 6th videos and pictures all over the place. And it's not going to be the new stuff that kind of shows a different light of what was happening that day. It's going to be on the stuff that everyone already believes, which is that Donald Trump led a supposed insurrection. That's what you're going to see. And I'm going to go ahead and predict this now. I'm going to go ahead and guarantee that there will be race riots in 2024 at some point. There will certainly be race riots. Something is going to happen because, again, every year there's about a dozen unarmed black men, not thousands, which is what idiots think. There's about a dozen or so unarmed black men that are killed by police. Now, in almost all those circumstances, that person was previously armed or they're trying to use their car to kill somebody or something like that. But there will be a video that comes out of an unarmed black man that's killed by white police officers and the country will burn. There will be some circumstance or derivative of that that is going to happen. And all that is to the redounding benefit of Joe Biden. That's why I've said over and over and over that if you really care, not about the axe to grind that Donald Trump has about not getting his second term and, you know, potentially or supposedly having the election stolen from him, even though he didn't prove that in court or didn't even allege that in court. If you really care about Joe Biden getting out of the White House, you wouldn't be supporting Donald Trump right now. Because, again, you have to look forward to 2024. If Nikki Haley were the nominee, what it, she's not on trial. She didn't. The people don't believe that she led an insurrection. If Ron DeSantis, who I'm supporting and who I will vote for here in the state of Oklahoma in the general, in the uh, Republican primary, like if he's up again, he's not going to blow you away with uh, how, you know, lovely his language is and all those different things. But he's a guy that gets things done. I think he smashes Joe Biden to pieces because those types of candidates, the Nikki Haley's of the world and the Ron DeSantis's of the world, they can put the focus back on Joe Biden and be like, man. America really sucks right now. And it's your fault, Joe Biden. But if it's Donald Trump, it's going to be like, uh, I'm amazing. And uh, they stole the election. And it's like, it's just not going to work out. So again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that I am super duper wrong. I just don't think that I am. I think that Donald Trump will be the main focus going into next year. He has done nothing to prove to me that he can control himself and that he can do anything to sway independence to his side. Again, in 2016, uh, Two to one independence broke for Donald Trump in 2020, two to one independence broke for Joe Biden. And there's no margin for error for a guy like Donald Trump. Yes, there, people aren't going to be as excited to vote as they were last time around because of everything that was going on in 2020. But still, I don't see how the math breaks where Donald Trump wins. That's unfortunate, but that's where we are right now.
All right, next quick hitter here. A Georgia high school football coach being fired after setting up a baptism event for his players. So this is according to Newsweek. A high school football coach in Georgia was terminated after a mass baptism for some players on the team sparked outrage. A video posted on the Tannall County High School football team's Facebook page last month showed several students being baptized by the local pastor. The baptism was organized by the team's head coach, Isaac Farrell. This month, Tantanol, Tantanol, sorry, I don't know, Tant, Tatnall, doesn't matter. Country School District Superintendent Kristen Waters announced that Farrell was terminated from his coaching position but will remain a teacher at the school. The safety and security of our students is paramount to Tattanall County Board of Education, Waters said in a statement sent to WSAV-TV in Georgia. Based on the outcome of an investigation into an incident that occurred Friday night, November the 3rd, while traveling after the football game, the district decided that it would seek a head coach that aligned with the best entrance of the students of Tattanall County for the 2024-2025 school year. As to any other allegations, the district does not comment during ongoing investigations. Big takeaway on this one, get ready for lawsuits aplenty. I mean, just go back to that ridiculous quote, like that they want to have a football coach that is aligned with the best interests of the students of the county. Really? So you would think he got a bunch of cocaine, cut it up on the table, made a bunch of lines and had his football players do it. He took them all to a titty bar. He, he like, that's what you would think would have happened. But no, they, they just got a local pastor and they baptized some kids in a pool. Looks like it was at a hotel room or a hotel or something like that. Hotel pool. That's what we're talking about. Because th- this is going to be one of those situations. You will hear about this story again. You will hear about this news story. It'll likely go to the Supreme Court because this, this district, again, this is in Georgia, right? This is presumably in a red state, even though they've got a, uh, you know, a couple of blue uh, senators because of Donald Trump and his inability to, you know, look at anybody but himself, but we'll digress from there. This is a crazy situation. As soon as I started looking into the situation, I was thinking to myself, there had to be something else. Like this can't just be the headline from, you know, Christianity today or something like that. Like there had to have been another reason why the guy got fired. Had the team not won a game in, you know, three years, like well, what else happened? But it seemed like this guy was well-liked, seemed like he was a good coach. And all he did was set up an event where his players could be baptized if they so chose. It wasn't like, okay, guys, you know, we're going to get in the line. We're all going to get baptized. That's that wasn't what happened here at all. But a lot of uh, anti-religion people just started to freak out. And all these people that agree with them. So these these woke uh, leftist people that run these school boards, these superintendents were all but willing to to, you know, bow the knee to these people. And again, guys, this is just another example of do you see things like this happening in private Christian school? Right. It certainly doesn't happen in homeschool because you don't have the same circumstances. But that's why I talk about all the time vetted private Christian school and homeschool. Those are fast becoming the only two options. Like maybe there's some uh, other types of schools. I can't think of the name of them right now, but there's other types of schools that can come up and do those types of things. But like as of right now, those are your two options. Because imagine having a great Christian man coaching your boy, you know, playing football or something like that. And then they take him out. And who are they going to go and find now? Because again, they they said that they wanted to find a football coach that aligned with the best interests of the students. Like, like, what do you mean? Is he going to take them to Planned Parenthood and let them volunteer? Is that the coach that you're looking for? Are you going to take them to the next Black Lives Matter riot and give every one of them a brick and tell them, all right, everybody, find a window, find a police officer, right? 
And so, uh, again, I just want to read this scripture here because there will be lawsuits. This is ridiculous. This is an unjust thing. But Matthew 5, 10 through 12, these are the words of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, who were before you. So that's the thing, guys, is this is going to happen. I feel bad for this guy. He shouldn't have lost his job. It is unjust. But you're not guaranteed an easy life as a Christian here. Here in this world, here in this country, it's going to progressively get worse the more post-Christian we become. But that's just the world we're living in, fellas. Get ready for it. All right, next quick hitter here. The Pope opening the door to blessing same-sex couples by the Catholic Church. So one quick thing before I read this, uh, this little news snippet. I did also see that the Pope, after all this went down, uh, had like a luncheon with a bunch of trannies at the Vatican, right? So Pope Francis is a leftist. He's a wild progressive leftist. We know that from the very, from the very beginning. Yes, there are issues with Catholicism, but this guy, I don't even know that he's Catholic. Like a lot of Catholics aren't even Christians, but I, like this guy isn't even Catholic, I think. But this is according to CBS News. This is from October the 21st. The biggest bombshell from the 2023 General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops at the Vatican dropped on October the 4th when Francis opened the door for the possibility of Catholic priests blessing same-sex unions. His remarks published Monday came with caveats. Francis stressed that blessings shouldn't be seen as elevating same-sex unions to the sacred place of heterosexual marriage, but until now, the church's position has been that same-sex unions could not be blessed because God cannot bless sin. So here's a big takeaway. We will, without a doubt, see the Catholic Church start to bless same-sex marriages in our lifetime. So what we're talking about right now is Francis and other Catholic bishops and whatever their uh, hierarchical structure is, that they're going to have the church, the Catholic church, bless same-sex unions. It seems like we're pretty close to that. But we will in our lifetime see them blessing same-sex marriages. You will see same-sex couples getting married in Catholic churches with the blessing of the progressive pope that is alive at that time. And the thing about it is Pope Francis may not be the guy to get this done, but he is actively and intentionally trailblazing the path for the guy that will allow for it. That, that's going to happen. The odds of the Catholics picking, because again, if you believe this nonsense that the Pope is like a direct line from Peter and they never made a mistake and the, the Pope was always the guy that God wanted in, in office, you're, you're, you're fooling yourself. It's crazy. But the people that the, these men, these corrupt men at the top of the Catholic Church are going to pick to be the next pope after Francis is only going to continue this. The odds of them selecting a super conservative after Pope Francis is incredibly small. I hope that that happens, but it's incredibly, incredibly small. And so just don't be shocked when you see uh, very quickly, because again, Francis, he's kind of like Andy Stanley in a way, like he says one thing with his mouth, but then his actions perform another thing. Now, Francis is not the master communicator that Andy Stanley is, certainly not in the English language because that's not his first language, but he's signaling these things like, oh, God cannot bless sin, but then he's opening the door to the, to the blessing of same-sex unions, which implies that there's same-sex sex happening, which is sinful and an abomination. And he's signaling that. Why is he having uh, lunch with a bunch of transgenders? or, you know, a bunch of men dressed up as women at the Vatican. He wasn't sharing Christ with them, right? He just wanted to be seen in the pictures with them. He wanted to be seen as the progressive pope. So it's only going to get worse with Francis and then whoever the heck the guy is right after that. 
All right, next quick hitter here. Israel agreeing to a temporary ceasefire in uh, order to reacquire 50 Israeli hostages. So this is according to The Guardian. This is a little bit old news because this has kind of been, you know, a little bit touch and go. You know, the numbers are a little bit out of whack here, but I just want to talk about the overall concept. Israel and Hamas have agreed to a deal to release 50 women and children hostages held in Gaza in return for 150 Palestinian women and children to be freed from Israeli jails during a four-day ceasefire. Both sides announced on Wednesday the 22nd. The deal was confirmed by a U.S. senator or a senior U.S. official who told reporter told reporters that the freed hostages would include three Americans, one of them a three-year-old girl. The official said that the first hostage release is expected on Thursday. That was Thanksgiving morning, and a total number of hostages freed could rise. So, here's the thing with the with the story. As of this morning, I'm recording this on the 25th. I don't think any of the Americans have been released. It wasn't 50 hostages that were released. I think they were only women and children. There weren't 150 that were returned. Again, the numbers are up in the air. There's kind of a progressive thing, you know, with the ceasefire and all that. So it's not been completely found out right now. But my big takeaway on this one is this is a great thing that some of these people are going back. It's a victory for Israel, to be sure. But they still have to move forward with destroying Hamas entirely. That That's the only option here. Like, even if... Without any trade, even if Hamas just returned all the hostages today and didn't even get their people back, you still have to destroy them. And here's the thing is destroying them is going to be difficult because some of the people that we did see that were returned to Hamas, these people immediately were like praising what happened on uh, October the 7th. They were praising uh, the men that were killed afterwards, right? They were praising them as, as martyrs and victors. And that's just what these people are. They're waving flags of terrorism right after they're freed. And so that's when it talks about whenever I talked about in my episode where I really broke, broke into this, it's like, what is the difference between a Palestinian and Hamas fighter? In some instances, it's only the AK in one of their hands. The ideology is the same. The majority of the people in Palestine agree with what happened on October the 7th. They think it was a good, righteous thing. The, the, the raping and murdering of 1,200 people, right? And again, at the time, we were saying 1,400, 1,500, but it took the country of Israel a while to get the actual numbers because some of the bodies were so unbelievably mutilated from being blown up by grenades, being burned alive, being cut up and sawed into pieces that it, it took them a while to get the right number of people that were murdered mercilessly by these Hamas Islamic fundamentalist thug pieces of garbage. And so as I told people on this show, as I told people in my Sunday school, as I tell anyone that I talk to about this situation, the reason why I talk about the instances of brutality that happened on that day as often as I do is because people were going to immediately forget, and this happened way faster than I thought it would, but people started immediately forgetting what happened, and then they're calling for a ceasefire. Oh, we need a ceasefire. We need peace. We need all these things. What needs to happen is Hamas needs to be destroyed completely. The entire leadership structure uh, all of the infrastructure that actually is going on there. And then you need generations of control over those people to, to wait for that ideology to get out. But the unfortunate part is, is if these people go back to the Holy Quran, their holy book, and they read things like the ninth surah, they're going to always pick up the thread that they need to perform jihad, that they need to kill Jews. They need to kill Americans. That's what they're going to get. And so, again, this is a great thing. I don't want to like, belittle the fact that we got some of these women and children back, but there are still people, there are still Americans being held in horrible conditions in Gaza. And 
Who knows what's going to happen to them, but I hope we get them all back alive. But even if we do, Hamas has to be completely destroyed. All right, last one here. American farmers going over to Israel to take care of Israeli farmland while farmers are fighting Hamas. So this is according to the Western Journal. With their cowboy boots planted firmly in the soil of the Holy Land, a group of American cowboys arrived to help Israel in the best way they knew how. I love the Jewish people, and I believe that this is their God-given land, Ezekiel Strain said as he stood in the West Bank field where he and his fellow cowboys had been helping with the harvest, according to the website SeaTech. I wanted to help out wherever I could. They're a small country, and they need the help. We should help them, he said. My heart breaks for Israel. I want to show my support and show we care about you guys and care about the things you care about. We are for peace, Strain said. He is among cowboys from Arkansas and Montana who responded to the need for men to take up the chores that were dropped after Hamas slaughtered 1,200 people on October the 7th, and the Israeli Defense Forces called up thousands for its war against Hamas. So I absolutely love this story. It is a tremendous story of uh, of just gratitude and thanksgiving and uh, this ability to to work for other people and to help them out whenever it costs you. But here's my big takeaway on this one. Mamas, I guess it's okay for your babies to grow up to be cowboys. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Don't forget to try the Relay app. So you probably heard the ad earlier in the show. Go to the Relay app or the Relay Recovery app that is here in the show notes. And also Primal Beef. Go to primalbeef.com. Use the promo code Kyle to get 10% off. And then also uh, there's the links here for uh, if you want to set up a free personal and or business financial assessment with Mike McCall of Bluecrest Financial. And then in the show notes, I've got links to everything. I've got links to the donation page. I've got links to where you can buy the cigars. The guys are on our cigars are on our website. And I've got a link to everything that we talked about today in the quick hitters. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>